Hello and thanks for tuning into the podcast. Firstly, it's been a while. Apologies for the long break. We got a little busy and took us a while to get to editing and getting the next episode out. But here we are and hopefully we get back to our regular schedule from here on out. Okay. So today we speak with two lifelong football fans and followers of the beautiful game as it's called and try to understand what it is about football that creates such passionate fans and following irrespective of geography, age or socio-economic status. We discuss the rise of the English Premier League into the mainstream and chat about some of the fiercest rivalries of the game. We also discuss the state of Indian football and how the game has changed in today's era of commercialization. Before we get into it, uh, apologies for a little bit of audio issues of in this podcast. There could be a little bit of ambient noise in the background and there is a little bit of audio disturbance towards the end of the podcast. But having said that, it's a great it's been a great episode. We've enjoyed doing this and let's dive right into it. Hi, this is Karan. Hi, this is Mohit. Hey, this is Aditya. And welcome to the Boiled Egg Podcast. All right, guys. Welcome to this episode of Boiled Egg Podcast. Today we are talking about football, all things football. We have two two guests with us. Oh, first time we have two new guests on the show, and uh, we have uh, Vivek and Manoj. I have known both of them for. maybe 15 plus years now we go back in the day friends from school and i think people who are very educated in general about sports all kinds of sports that you can think of uh, and particularly football so yeah so today we are going to kick start about uh, what brings what is behind uh, the football madness can you guys please educate us where did this whole football passion for football start for you guys like personal journeys yeah i mean i think <clears throat> mainstream like uh, the whole indian context i think uh, both of us will be a sort of a little minority or a bad example to take because i think both of us pretty much started a little early but i think gen- in general the madness a little late 2000s you know when it uh, sorry when premier league really sort of had the money lots of marketing getting telecasted uh, in india like every weekend um, major num- lot of uh, uh, matches so i think uh, uh, right now that whole thing is getting carried into like your uh, uh, domestic football also right with isl being kind of formed and you have a slight shift in the way the indian football has also been tired so i think back in the day we had your uh, at least when i started watching football it was called the national football league where you'd watch your mohan bagans and your east bengals and <laughs> then it became the i league which was the massive scam for a while still is actually yeah still is yeah you so you still why, why was it a scam yeah i mean again same thing right like as isl they kind of marketed marketed it a lot and it was supposed to be like the next big thing but then no one was really watching uh, indian football back then i think now is a good time because you have a lot of people actually watching uh, open to indian football primarily because of the momentum that uh, uh, premier leagues of the world and your uh, champions leagues of the world have uh, kind of brought in 
I have two questions. So, what about football do you like? One and two. What what caught like what sort of drew you towards football? Was it a club or was it a player? For me, yeah, like Manoj has mentioned, I mean, it started off probably late nineties, early two thousands. I mean, when we were getting going into a secondary high higher school, whatever it is, and uh, I think we in general in India there was an overdose of cricket. from that time itself and you just needed something else apart from what cricket offered mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and i'm and i'm telling this i was never a fan of the indian cricket team at that time as well i, I thought there was a lot of drama with the indian cricket team and which you know which which was never in which is never what i liked i was always a fan of the australian cricket team at that time as well the all conquering aussies at that time but yeah some of uh, the uh, traits which football showed in terms of its nature of the sport itself so competitiveness the format itself is shorter i mean 90 minutes not as much as a, not as not as long as a cricket game true uh, mm. true and also because i, I think uh, at that time it was the the broadcasting of english football specifically was just beginning i mean you had uh, you still didn't have espn and star sports together at that time that started probably in 2003 and this was yeah, um, yeah. late 90s it was just Star Sports showing the football. ESPN showed American sports mostly, NBA and baseball and stuff like that. And the coverage of the uh, Premiership was limited to the top four or five clubs, which included Manchester United, of course Liverpool, Arsenal, and to some extent Chelsea or Newcastle United for that matter. I mean, who were at top at that time? And so our exposure mainly was to these teams. And then you gradually. Uh, I mean, as a guy, as a boy, you started supporting teams which a were successful at that time, for me mm. at least. Which uh, and there were a couple of players, David Beckham notably, who was a sort of a, sort of a superstar at that time. Uh, I mean, he drew everyone in India, I believe, to football more than anybody else at that time. I mean, I can't believe people telling yeah Ronaldo also to that extent, but Ronaldo mainly when he was playing for Brazil, not for the club, because the Italian Serie A was never showed at that time in uh, in India. So David Beckham played a major role in pe- uh, in bringing people to football in India is what my belief is and Manchester United specifically because they were a successful club at that time and you also had Arsenal fanboys who didn't like the 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 Manchester United team but like the opponent who was trying to defeat them that was Arsenal so you had two separate fan bases growing at that time Arsenal and Manchester United so I think this is where the evolution of people supporting different clubs start in india the late 90s played a very critical role and then again you had espn and star sports combine uh, when that happened probably in 2002 or 3 and then mm-hmm. it sort of exploded all together you had a lot of in game analysis weekly shows on a daily basis and then you had a lot of following which literally grew up and they tapped into that that's super interesting so, you brought about uh, like david beckham who was like one of the key players who drew the indian crowds because like my introduction to football was like beckham and uh, ronaldo uh, in yeah. in the late 90s and early 2000s so yeah also, the france 98 episode where ronaldo couldn't i mean he was a phenomenon at that time and so we were limited to only watching him in international matches and and if i'm not wrong the international matches were limited to the dd sports channel mm. and you wouldn't have these uh, other channels you know showcasing or telecasting these matches and you were limited to the international matches but then gradually i think you know when he moved to real madrid and they started showing the spanish matches as well and then you know it, it evolved all you now you nowadays you have all these barcelona fans and real madrid fans and also because the english game itself you know there are two aspects to it the english game itself would be a bit more understanding to us because of the english language i think and 
uh, especially people like us who are more you know uh, who are uh, more explored or more exposed towards the english game the real madrid and the barcelona is probably after probably 4 5 years you know when they started winning things regularly was when they became successful as well i mean when they had a large following as well can you can you quickly break down uh, football in like 30 seconds in terms of your leagues and okay games yeah, and so, stuff whatever uh, is the categorization yeah uh, so basically the structure of club football started in england so uh, and these clubs basically were formed in late 1800s probably 1892 and now not county was 1870 or something so i i can't get the year right but liverpool famously started it was uh, formed in 1882 so these were uh, basically clubs formed geographically due to various reasons they might either be a mill worker association at that time like in the northwest they might be the steel workers in the northeast of england and so these guys geographically had some teams for whom they rooted and these clubs are basically built as steeped in history and from then what happened was the english uh, game spread to the other countries as well uh, famously in italy because you had a lot of uh, english explorers who descended upon the italian coast and a lot of clubs were formed because of these uh, englishmen uh, famously there's a club in, uh, in italy which is called the genoa cricket and football club it's still called as the genoa cricket and football club because it started as like that it was started as that so you'll have a lot of uh, clubs across europe which were which sort of copied the english structure and you had the league systems in place uh, the league systems basically would mean you play over a period of 10 months over a year 8 9 months or 10 months and you play each other twice home and away and the winner of the whole thing is supposed to be the league winner so you need to maintain so the idea being you need to maintain consistency over a period of 10 months to identify who is the best player and that is what even ipl sort of you know has copied so yeah so basically in short you basically have six major leagues the english league the french league german italian and the spanish league and the i missed out one belgian netherlands dutch league so you have all these leagues which are uh, which sort of you know contribute to making their national teams successful as well and so it spread towards south america as well and so yeah so on and so forth so is, is yeah. football bigger as countries or when it's played as countries or when it's played as leagues actually it's a bit uh, it's a difficult year. to answer it's, yeah it's i think next year because uh, see the thing is a lot of clubs right again also depends on the era and uh, the time you're talking about today if you look at uh, people supporting say the mainstream clubs right for them uh, what happens is more often than not uh, your supporters are based outside the country your majority of the supporters as opposed to say when we started watching these are all you know city based local clubs who are supported mostly by locals right so the kind of support has varied a lot over the over time for clubs but nations i think uh, the european championships and the uh, world cup these are still uh, massively huge uh, tournaments but of course the champions league uh, final has the reputation for uh, beating the world cup and uh, the european champions for worship right so it's it's a bit complicated you see that you know uh, people who really support their local hometown club will do it no matter what but when it comes to supporting the country again it's it's a cumulative thing right so you'd expect the country support to be uh, bigger but a uh, football unlike cricket right is not played as often at uh, national level as cricket correct 
yeah actually yeah for the uh, for the topic of national teams even in india if you look at it uh, you 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 see kerala divided during the world cup i mean in, between argentina and brazil mostly yeah. and you know that kind of fervor you probably would see once in four years and you'll see all the news channels you know broadcasting the support which they get Thanks. and with that 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 is always not the case for the clubs in uh, i mean for the international clubs or even the local clubs in kerala for that matter so you don't get that kind of support which you know jk brazil and argentina generate during the world cups in india yeah and i think another couple of thing going back to like when vivek said right the influence of uh, when we started watching football i think two things that probably didn't influence him or uh, he couldn't cover one was uh, for me at least personally my dad was a huge uh, football fan and you know used to support barcelona a lot so i grew up watching barcelona and most of the initial or first football matches that i really watched was barcelona matches and i really never enjoyed watching football right until for me the world cup 98 happened and that was when really i took to football or at least watching football i used to play uh, football even back then but i really took uh, to watching football only uh, uh, during the world cup 98 and up until then i used to remember arguing with my dad on uh, how it was stupid that he was watching a match where countries were not even playing so from there to kind of going and uh, starting and supporting an english club for me was a little it, it i mean it just happened it was not something that uh, uh, you want plan or it just kind of happened and uh, uh, yeah and the second interesting influence i think for me was again uh, world cup 98 related fifa 9 esports <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that was Uh, iconic for me because uh, I discovered close to 90-95% of Indian football on FIFA 98. So I don't think any FIFA, I think after 98-99, I don't think any of the editions really featured Indian football or Indian leagues. But the initial couple of FIFAs really had like a great, uh, what do you call, coverage of Indian leagues. And you had your Mahindra United and Mohan Bagan and all I discovered really there. and and for me at that time right school growing up i i was like sort of big on history so it kind of uh, i kind of you know it was fun for me to kind of uh, read up on all these clubs and what how they kind of uh, uh, brought in the whole culture behind it right? so that's also something that really interested me and that's that was also something that also drew me a little toward barcelona in the later stages i, I mean i would say early 2000s because the the whole history behind the whole real barca uh, catalonia that, yeah Madrid. like historically and politically right it's it's a lot of it's it's really interesting so i think that aspect has always uh, been there i think for me uh, cricket 97 happened before football 98 happened to you so i just went into cricket from there on <laughs> yeah so similar to what manoj said for me that the earliest i remember watching football was with my grandfather and as a kid he woke me up in the middle of the night like at around 3 or 4 am to watch uh, the 94 world cup final uh, and yeah like vivek said it was broadcasted on doordarshan and stuff like that and then slowly probably we never got to watch indian clubs playing because they wouldn't be telecast anywhere at least i don't remember it being telecast but i used to read the news and the hindu had a small little section in the sports section where they would put results 
of uh, the Indian football clubs like Mohan Bagan and Dempe, East Bengal, all of that. Yeah, you playing in Indian football as well. I mean, it was. Yeah. Later on, when this English game exploded and the European football exploded, they tried to or they attempted to telecast, and it was good. I mean, the quality was way off, but you know. You still have the pride where you see Indian clubs performing even in Asian competitions, and it was good. It was good at yeah. that time. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Especially in like the what was that? There was Asian Football Championship or something yeah. like that. AFC. Yeah, you have the, I think that's the where Indian. Europe. Yeah, you have the, the Asian Champions League AFC, and the, the yeah. Continental yeah. Cup. Yeah. 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 So that's so that's those that's something I remember. And yeah, '98 was pretty much where even I got drawn into club football. Uh, thanks to FIFA 98, started with Arsenal and like Manoj rightly said, I remember that the 2000 FIFA 2000 and 2001 onwards there were no Indian clubs and that was a little yeah surprising or whatever. But yeah, that's where even my what do you say following and I was on the other side of the fence where I am an Arsenal fan through and through. Uh, Manoj, I think we should probably talk about his love for his club, which is very rare. I don't see too many supporters of that club. I haven't come across too many supporters for that. South Hall United. You can't believe that. I thought I'll be able to like go through this entire thing without mentioning it. No, but but I think it's an important, an interesting yeah, point. Yeah. Like explain what what your love for Newcastle United is yeah, all see, about. I think uh, goes back to what we said in the beginning, right? We grew up when we grew up watching TV and football. It was about a control on what's being telecasted and we were only been shown the top clubs and believe it or not back when i started watching newcastle were in the top two three but i think yeah, yeah, yeah so, for sure. but i think uh, for me i think uh, uh, the whole manchester united influence was not there at all when i kind of started watching football right i had the advantage of not having too much of English football influence. Like I hardly knew people around me, hardly knew any of the clubs. So I think one of the first matches I watched was uh, the 99, uh, like in the English game, right? In, in like the 99 season, I think uh, Newcastle Sheffield, where Newcastle won like some 7-0 or 8-0 or something. And that was like the first match I was watching. And back then, uh, I was actually in residential school. So there was this one year I had moved to uh, Calicut, Kerala, and uh, I was actually in a residential school for one year. And there it was like completely full of, you know, uh, Nepalese and uh, your Northeast guys. And football as a sport actually was big, like, you know, playing football. Watching not so much, like funnily, sure. watching uh, football was still not big. In fact, I remember we used to have uh, the biggest football time uh, or the biggest football uh, tournament on TV other than the World Cup, obviously, uh, was uh, the Santos Trophy. So you used to have... A you used oh, to have yeah. a lot of these Northeast kids sitting and watching uh, Santosh Trophy, right? So that was how... Yeah, I had a friend called Santosh back then. Yeah. Go Santosh Trophy. <laughs> This is like the Deodor Trophy of cricket. <laughs> okay, I would have used it the other way around. <laughs> right, yeah. So uh, basically, English football, I kind of it was a very small, uh, uh, you know, group of us friends who would watch. So I somehow got onto watching it, and 
I, my first match I saw was this team winning 8-0, right? And I kind of like the whole idea of black and white stripes. So that's how oh, yeah. I really started liking, our, started watching uh, Newcastle at least. Uh, but then I think that kind of, uh, I think the biggest thing that I really like about Newcastle or that made me kind of support uh, Newcastle for like 21, 22 years is uh, that kind of, uh, you know, instability and uh, <laughs> you, you have no fucking clue what is going to happen. You know for sure that uh, they are not, so not winning is the only constant. So, you know. <laughs> the mystery kind of, of the club is masala, what you're drawn towards. Yeah. So, some kind of masala politics is always happening around. So it's uh, it's so, basically like the Bangladesh cricket team, right? You never know whether no, they're going to win or lose. So, it'll put a Bangladesh cricket team and all to shame. So, you know, there was a match where uh, uh, two Newcastle uh, players were uh, sent off for fighting with each other. <laughs> <laughs> So, Have they thought of doing like a reality show around this uh, club, like Big Boss so the, or something? So the famous fra- football franchisee movie, movie franchisee, Goal, the first mm-hmm. movie was based on Newcastle, mm-hmm. right? So where that guy, yeah. Oh yeah, the kid is from Newcastle. He's in Newcastle, like he's the... Munez, yeah. what's his yeah. first name? Santiago Munez. Santiago Munez. What a, what a movie. Santiago Munez, yeah. So the first and the only hit movie, I think, is... Uh, I mean, at that time, we thought it was really good. But now, if you look at the comments on Twitter, you'll laugh at it. I mean. <laughs> so, question related to Newcastle, which is... So, there are like almost 1,500 clubs in the world. So, where does Newcastle stand, one? And two, like, what are some of the top clubs in the world? So, Newcastle stand, again... <laughs> I mean, depends on uh, stand in terms of kind of in what sense. So I would say, so to uh, give some context, say for example, supporter uh, wise, right? Mm-hmm. From a supporter standpoint, Newcastle is one of the best supported clubs in the in Europe. So maybe oh, if not top, yeah. So maybe like a top ten, uh, I would say. I don't know if Vivek will agree, disagree. No, to, to uh, put that yeah. into context, yeah, put, to put that into context, uh, when Newcastle were relegated in probably late 2000s, 2010, they still brought in 50,000 people to the stadium when they were relegated to Division 1, which is unheard of. I mean, you usually don't have that kind of capacity attending to a second division team. Yeah. Uh, so that is... Second just, every, yeah. yeah. Second division averages were around anywhere between 24 to 28,000 and that too for like big clubs and also considering that you know former champions like Leeds have had been relegated like what like five six years before that right so the classification is based on yeah. fan base like divisions no no so there are a lot so like of one of the bench one of yeah. the one of the things if you look if you look at it money wise uh, mm-hmm. or commercially uh, commercial viability wise i'd say uh, i mean you have we have i think since both of us uh, vivek and i have been watching football last 20 years or 20 more than 20 years we every year we sit and read the deloitte uh, top 20 power club rankings power yeah power club rankings right so i mean newcastle's never been beyond 20 it's always been within the first yeah, the main, maybe point be, main point being without 20, any success. 20. Yeah, without any success for the last 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but to give Newcastle its due, they they had some of the best players ever play for them. Uh, they've had great success at the club. 
their stadium is probably one of the most recognized stadiums in the world st james park so it's not that it's been a down and out club i mean it, it's gone through some rough times and it i don't know it's always finds itself in rough times but they have they have a very good heritage yeah. and history to give uh, behind a similar them. context you know like uh, if all of you have watched californication right when you mm-hmm. watch californication you always wonder why like you know you always know that shit hits the ceiling and it's only going to get worse so yeah for me a lot of yeah. it has been like that you know <laughs> like i think, what a uh, great what a great comparison <laughs> 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 so i think after the last uh, i think since 2005 uh, 2005 6 is when i really kind of figured and you know pro- actually gave up hope and uh, there was this, <laughs> there, there was there was a few months i don't know if vivek remembers there was just a few months where i said no you know what i'm supporting chelsea now uh, This was when Chelsea. Ha, from which money? Oh yeah. I said okay, I'm going to be a Chelsea fan. Now. Yeah, that didn't last like more than a month or something. So basically, you were touting for a new identity. Yeah. No, but see, so, that's the point. That's the thing, right? I mean, we were at stage. Now, if you would ask us to shift our loyalties to some other club, I I doubt because we grew up with that. I mean. it's the age it's that even if united are relatively unsuccessful for the last 7 to 8 years i don't mind but you know one of the best thrills you get is when united are playing playing away and can see in one corner of uh, the stadium in the away ground you will find some 5000 6000 united fans packed and singing their hearts out and yeah. which which is the best sight you can find i mean if you bring if you understand what it means you you'd find it really good and even with newcastle for that matter so you you kind of uh, dwell or you you kind of find thrills on such small things and you just can't shift loyalties i i believe i can't shift loyalties even if they are yeah, no I, longer successful I, i don't think i'd be able to shift loyalties yeah i think the second half of 90s was a great period for english football because globally they were you know i think after uh, it after the italian league which was considered the best then probably the spanish league then came the english league right but the 90s late 90s especially i think was a, a great period because I, i mean at least three teams i can think of right great teams uh, newcastle obviously the uh, entertainers as they were called across europe everyone's third team so they were known best to be everyone's uh, uh, second team sorry yeah everyone second team so whoever was uh, supporting one main team always had the newcastle entertainers team as a second then of course the great man united team which i don't i kind of feel sad for the new manchester united fans yeah. because they missed out on this 90s period but then you know they uh, call it yeah class of 97 so 92 92 these are the guys who call it manu so then i don't really bother yeah seriously i can't take people calling i mean calling themselves as you know yeah. supporters and, and still end up calling manu and right? yeah and then the third thing or the most hated for me at that time was the arsenal uh, Uh, invincible <laughs> that was actually like a brilliant team right? yeah. like uh, united you know it was like that cut paste you knew it was quite honestly you, it was alex ferguson basically giving everyone the hair dryer treatment and getting them to win right but if there was one team you could actually stitch together with talent that was that Arsenal team which uh, Arsene Wenger did like that was just an insane team and probably the team that I used to hate the most I think that period was probably Arsenal's golden period and around the same time is when like 
just before that is when i started like following english football found arsenal to be my team and everything and it just took off took off from there the team took off from there and that probably made me fall more in love with the team follow it even more closely watch all the matches i pretty much watched every single matches every single match of that invincible season and every single match just hoping that you know okay fine no matter what we cannot lose this and you know the whole excitement built up towards the end where sports stepped up their coverage for the stepped up their coverage they started start all the matches all the matches played on saturday yeah, season is or in or city used yeah. to be that uh, one highlight session that i used to watch that half an hour half an hour session i think monday morning one used to come yeah. i think monday morning the other used to come so uh, uh, until then it was only those highlights you'd watch to get all to get to see all those matches yeah yeah Correct. Yeah, get to see all the matches, all the players, all the goals, and there was also another almost like a talk show around English Pundit. football at that time also, yeah, yeah, yeah. where there would oh, be yeah. a review. Yeah, the pundit review. Yeah, you 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 would review yes. it on Friday. Yes, football focus. All the weekend yeah. matches would be reviewed yeah. on Friday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the weekend matches. Correct. Yeah, so that's something that I never used to miss. And yeah, like you rightly said, I think Arsenal has probably had its worst. Three four years in the past three four years, but doesn't mean that loyalties are shifting. I don't see myself shifting loyalty anytime soon. I think that formative age at where we connect with a football club is where probably we'll stick stick with for the rest of the life, no matter what happens. If it's in Division One, Division Two, doesn't matter. Tottenham fans and City fans and be like, dude. I mean. Yeah, but then you will have to understand from their context as well right i mean they are growing up and so they are yeah, looking at teams yeah, who are successful and so probably they are also you know becoming city fans like we became yeah, united I, fans I totally, so. yeah yeah i totally understand city but yeah then i was never never understood uh, sports so, yeah yeah I, I, i want to i want to like dissect this fan following a little bit more how do these clubs end up getting such loyal fan bases like you guys are such loyal fans of these clubs how how does that happen i understand like city teams and national teams like it inherently you get like the city population and the national population to follow them but for a lot of these clubs how do they build this international loyal fan base so i think so it's a it's it's a difficult question because i don't think there is conscious way to go about it or anyone has really done it in a specific way it just happened no one expected mm. that manchester united would have 70 80% of their fans outside manchester or outside england right <laughs> it just happened because of the commercial value and like uh, uh, vivek said it was david beckham he was like the poster child for uh, all united mm. success in the 90s and if you look at the biggest teams it's always that kind of the kind of following they get during that time it's followed around somewhere around that kind of success because uh, again again barca right i think at least one of my favorite barca teams was actually the more uh, late 90s or you know 97 98 it was like a crazy team rivaldo ronaldo you have gardola and uh, luis enrique and it it was like a brilliant team on paper but didn't win but one jack because figo went to madrid the next year and obviously made history there uh, compare to compare that uh, kind of fast forward that 10 years and when barca actually had frank rijkaard coming in and made a lot of changes and actually started going on a rampage of winning titles right that's where again international following came back to them so somewhere mm-hmm. 
there could be success but also there's a lot to do with commercial following so a simple example in that sense is uh, the football club napoli right and naples is again a small town in italy uh, napoli mm-hmm. were never really a big club or uh, you know just like it was like one of the smaller clubs uh, in the leagues never really uh, made it big but then diego maradona joined napoli and kind of change the face single handedly yes. so a lot of it i think has to do with commercial value and uh, exposure so when you say that i mean you mentioned that ronaldo moved from one club to the other mm-hmm. right so people move clubs right how often does that happen or what's the cycle there so that that is uh, left up to the player or to the club um no so there is there like no. a contract or a yeah, tenure so is, that so they need usually, to sort I mean, of uh, yeah so when a player signs to a particular club he is offered a contract now the length of the contract can depend yeah. on how old the player is uh, what is the value of the player in the market okay. how, so there is no fixed rule no. of like 4 years no, or 2 no. years or 5 years so so with, okay. within the And, yeah so within the duration of the contract the, the clubs usually when they value a player if the player is valued very high usually the clubs put in a release clause saying if another club wants to buy they have to pay x amount of money and then we can probably it is up to the player if he wants to leave or not and there uh, is no uh, clause like that and if uh, if they feel some other club is offering some decent amount of money then probably they can accept to that at any point to give you an example neymar is a brazilian superstar current brazilian superstar he was playing for barcelona for a till up to th- up to 3 years back Neymar was kind of special. Now he was supposed to take the mantle from Messi after Messi retires is what was expected. But his head was turned probably because of wanting more money whatever be the case. Uh, then there, there's a club called Paris Saint-Germain. They came in they inquired about his availability and they talked to the player if he was interested. But Barcelona had put in a clause in his contract telling if you pay 220 million pounds or dollars we would we would be willing to let him go. because that's a lot of money 220 million for a single player is a lot of money so they did go through with the transfer paris saint germain ended up paying 220 million dollars to barcelona for a single player now that is unheard of i mean in this dna considering inflation and stuff like that these uh, transfer fees are have have been increased enormously compared to probably early 2000s that time you probably consider 30 or 40 million dollars as the uh, record fees Yeah so to, yeah so from a newcastle point of view giving context <laughs> so 2003 was the last time newcastle did like a world record transfer that was 16 16 million pounds for michael owen 16.8 million pounds this is like 2003 oh, yeah, i remember this today it is what is the record like in hundreds and 200 like yeah exactly. release clauses are so so when yeah. so when a player moves from one league to the other club to the other uh, one club to the other so you know do do sort of fans chase him and sort of shift their loyalties or how is how is I that i mean not and i don't think entirely shift loyalties unless i don't know like i, I think don't know, it can I go the other way around people will start hate, start hating the player yeah, also Yeah. I mean, I've seen cases where you know you start hating them. I mean, for me, uh, David Beckham leaving Manchester United to Real Madrid uh, in 2003 was. Uh, I mean, we didn't harbor any kind of resentment because the player himself wanted to go, and the manager himself wanted to uh, let him go. 
yeah kicked out of the yeah so uh, yeah, so they kicked the player out yeah there was uh, no resentment towards it but we didn't i mean it's like okay theek hai we earned the money which we got from real madrid for the player and we can invest it further so the idea being you can you can get x amount of money you can reinvest into buying some other players and improve your team so that's the idea whole yeah but 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 from a fan perspective I don't, right I so don't today think, I'm, i mean i don't i personally have not I, yeah. it depends on the kind of fan you are and also the kind of and the club that is going to like for example if if it, if they are moving from from a very loyal fan base which is very loyal But to I the think club all the, all it the really doesn't matter that kind of But the, fan base right like whatever like, correct but it also depends on the type of club and i mean i mean when let's say the player is moving to a, a rival club Yeah, yeah. So Then they will start hating him. Case in point being Steven Gerrard, uh, when he was one of the most prolific English players <laughs> in 2000, and Steven Gerrard was contacted by Chelsea in 2005, and he did agree for a move. And when he did agree for a move, and this, hmm. guy, I mean, now no, put into context, Steven Gerrard is like is the sole figure in Liverpool Football Club, and when he said, or when news came out that he was ready to get. go to chelsea people started burning his t-shirts on the streets of liverpool so it became that bad and then he had to you know sort of or rather yeah not withdraw rather probably he was withdraw the brought some sense into it and he thought no i probably stay with liverpool and went on to so did he, did he end up staying yeah yeah, he did, he did, yeah, yeah, yeah. so i so think again, and, it is part of the player and the club so they want to or not yeah so a famous saying in football is no player is bigger than the club right so yeah. when when it comes mm-hmm. to like rivalries and clubs of similar size right i don't think loyalty shift a lot based on players but if it is a small hometown club where you you watched like a player who you've loved uh, and kind of pro- uh, and he's progressed through the ranks right and he goes on to say move out and join a much bigger club say for example he goes from a small town club in hyderabad to say real madrid right then you have the tendency to okay start supporting madrid because you do, you still don't stop supporting your local club uh, in any way you hmm. just you, it's it's just that you got an additional uh, you know an additional club to support or uh, put in yeah, reason uh, to support a club yeah, yeah. reason to support uh, madrid so until then maybe you would have been a person watching it neutrally but now because that favorite player is in madrid and whom you've seen is uh, whom you've grown up watching in your local club has uh, kind of uh, gone there you'd uh, probably want to shift towards i i can't think of uh, any other situation where people really shift loyalties because even someone like for me if you look at cristiano cristiano ronaldo right in terms of number of people watching football today it's at the peak and cristiano ronaldo is probably the guy who could uh, have you know got people to switch supporting from one club if anyone could and i don't see that i haven't seen that happening or uh, i haven't seen people move from uh, supporting madrid to ua so i think from the cristiano ronaldo can't do it i don't think uh, there will be too many people who will be able to do that speaking of loyalties what are some of like the biggest club rivalries that are current and some that are like are known for their historic rivalries in the past yeah so one of the rivalries i grew up reading about is of course uh, uh, madrid uh, barcelona because of uh, a, a huge political uh, you know background so the background has always been that real madrid is actually so real actually means royal right mm-hmm. so uh, so it was actually the madrid uh, uh, cfr 
Madrid club for football, which kind of got adopted by the Spanish uh, king, uh, the royal family, right? So, uh, so the a whole background is that uh, all through history when general franco was ruling spain madrid really stood for what the government and you know what the, the royal family stood for yeah basically the establishment right because general franco again was the establishment it was not even the royal family so that versus barcelona which kind of imbibe it it was a face of freedom right they were always it was the whole catalan pride and catalan freedom that was uh, being fought at so for barcelona was again you know that underdog despite everything so uh, so a lot of people so there is a conspiracy theory that uh, so, i mean uh, he's not a famous player so at that time during the 50s uh, the world's uh, best player was this hungarian guy a forward called puskas so yeah. uh, yeah so puskas is a real madrid legend oh, yeah. uh, but uh, there have been theories saying that he was originally meant to join barcelona and because franco wanted him in madrid he basically kind of got the plane to land in madrid and get him to join uh, real madrid so that's oh, kind of yeah so you know it I, i think for me again that's kind of one rivalry that is fascinating for me because a lot of uh, politics behind it and a lot of history and culture behind it other than that i think i don't know a lot i mean uh, i don't know today vivek is united city uh, <laughs> <laughs> rivalry uh manchester derby i mean uh, the, the rivalries the rivalries are different contexts and each rivalry has a different context so when it comes to i just before touching manchester and probably united city and liverpool i'd probably give an example of a very fierce rivalry oh, um, i know i know what is that is rangers celtic which i mean if you get a chance to you can probably you can probably go and watch oh, a documentary yeah. on rangers and celtic i mean uh, if any kind of you know you you'd find it nonsense i mean in india probably you won't find it nonsensical what is rangers and celtic are these they two are, clubs yeah these are yeah. two clubs based in glasgow of uh, ah, okay. scotland scotland yeah so celtic is basically the irish immigrant club and which uh-huh. is basically catholic and rangers is basically the protestants oh Now, so this is religious this is a, so there's a sectarian oh. divide which divides these it's two clubs it's called the old firm and it's called the old firm uh and this is one of the most vicious rivalries i mean you you will not find a more uh, you have in eastern europe probably but in in western europe this is one of the most vicious rivalries which you'll ever find um mm. you you'll find people chanting obscene uh, profanities at each other you'll find children uttering profanities in the stadium and all and all of this is okay because as long as you're uh, you know you're taunting the uh, uh, opposite team it's always good So this is the kind of atmosphere that prevails in such match. So Rangers Celtic I mean you do if you do get a chance probably watch a few documentaries on YouTube BBC has a documentary on that Yeah watch watch like maybe uh, mid 2000s or early 2000s that will probably give you like the actual what you call I think effect I would say Yeah yeah, yeah. It, I mean are, it's yeah. super interesting yeah. yeah it sounds like football has been used as a so apart from the religious yeah apart from the religious part of that rivalry it's also a rivalry northern about Ireland, the independence of, of uh, northern ireland as well everything yeah. is involved so you have a lot of uh, subplots in Correct, yeah. these in, in this rivalry so it's a very it's a very um, very fa- famous rivalry and which is which probably will remain forever and you'll also have this uh, political rivalries in eastern yeah. europe where you find you know 
red star belgrade and partisan oh, yeah. belgrade in belgrade, serbia yeah. so one is propped up by the dictator of serbia yugoslavia first of all yugoslavia and you still have this bla- bad blood between these players and the fans as well even though you know uh, serbia itself was a war torn country at that time football was never uh, you know has was never kept to the side football actually was was a playing field for the supporters and there was a lot of political factions got involved even in italy for that matter coming back Problem to england you. probably i'd like to touch upon the united uh, manchester rivalry so manchester basically is um, situated probably around 60 miles away from liverpool now these two are the giants of northwest foot northwest in england and liverpool for a period of time from late uh, early 70s to late 80s were the most successful team winning everything and uh, united were a bit successful before that now one of the theories for the rivalry is that because of the opening of a canal in manchester it sort of bypassed liverpool in terms of commerce and all the sh- jobs got shifted from liverpool to manchester and manchester sort of became an industrial hub and so liverpool you know a lot of working class people lost their jobs so this co- sort of co- you know caused a resentment between these two cities and this sort of fed into the football as well and liverpool is more or less a you know a socialist kind of a place i mean socialist kind of a region where you know they believe in football they believe that everything is everything should be equal for everybody and stuff like that so and even the owners of liverpool fed into that and they became successful because of that and so that con- sort of you know fed into the rivalry as well and when once when where once when united started becoming more successful then you know the resentment grew even further between liverpool mm-hmm. and united fans so next 20 years manchester united were the most successful club and liverpool did win but not on a regular basis so it sort of increased the animosity between the sides and it still is it's a very anim- uh, it's a very very divided region in terms of football and it's a very heated football match yeah and also these things these things right. evolve a lot also because like vivek said right like most of the examples that at least between vivek and i that we've been giving these are all probably you know older and people probably football fans who've been watching for a long time really uh, understand that these are the big li- rivalries like probably a uh, rome derby right uh, lazio uh, roma is one of the whole uh, it's it's a sort of a controversial yeah, derby exactly. because yeah because lazio was mussolini's of- club yeah so i mean a lot of history but again you know the milan derby that's kind of the uh, uh, rivalry of the glam uh, working class uh, against the aristocrats yeah. kind of a thing yeah so this this it kind of uh, evolves a lot today if you ask see people uh, in india at least from an indian context right people are going mad over arsenal tottenham also mm-hmm. so i think not london derby yeah not, not london, london derby yeah. yeah i was just i kind of uh, i think last year i went to some pub during some arsenal uh, tottenham match and i realized that that's a thing so i think that kind of changes uh, as time passes because now all these clubs it's been like what uh, over a century right so uh, new rivalries just keep uh, popping up but some of the old ones i don't think they will go away but depends like the old firm right the celtic rangers if you asked football fans like say 20 years back which was the most fierce uh, fiercest rivalry there would be like a tie between the old firm or the uh, rome derby right today if you asked uh, uh, football fans it will probably be something glamorous like el clasico or you know maybe uh, maybe united liverpool so that kind of thing also evolves as it gets more global i think 
Yeah, I also think it depends on which team is performing well and if both the teams are at same par, then it's worth having a rivalry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, give you context, yeah, like I... 10 years back, India-Pakistan was like exactly. the biggest rivalry in cricket. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now it, we don't even talk about it. Yeah, it almost sounds like football grounds are like the battlegrounds for a lot of the political, religious, cultural differences that that yeah. uh, cities, countries, people have so with the, each other. That is... Yeah, yeah, just to include a point from a personal perspective, actually, for me, you know, uh, because football itself, not just the game, everything around the game is a, for me is very was very interesting. You know, you know, you have these different cities in Europe who have sort of histories behind them, and you when you touch upon these games, right, you tend to do a bit of research, and I probably I was one of them who used to do a bit of research, and you yeah, sort yeah. of get to learn a lot of things. And I mean, what is the reason for two people for two sets of fans having such an animosity? Surely it is yeah. more than football. And, yeah, so, and more than success or more than you know relative success so there correct, it's because, a lot of you you find these small small derbies which are they are they are called basically called derbies you find these small derbies which would probably not be meaningful in the context of broadcasting or in the context of crowds and stuff like that but you'd find that they have a lot of history behind them they might probably might be older mm-hmm. than 100 years ago and they have a so strong reason for them being played in that match with such intensity, so it's a lot of in, it's a lot of there are a lot of interesting facts if you can you know gain from them. Yeah, definitely. I think from my perspective, again, Newcastle Sunderland, one of the fiercest derbies in England, but yeah, they they don't really play to kind of they're not playing to win a cup or anything, right? They just that one the day that rights. they play, yeah. yeah, it's just bragging rights, and that's why I mentioned the Ro- uh, Rome derby, which is Roma versus Lazio, because mm-hmm. both of them have been in existence to, for close to a, a century now, and I think they've ha- won like a handful titles between them, between the two clubs, but. You know, the derby is known to be like one of the most notorious. You have ultras coming in and basically trying to kill each other all the time. Can you explain so, what a derby is like in very simple terms? Yeah, so the derby would mean uh, two teams. Uh, they can be local teams uh, from the same city playing each other. Or they can be two teams which would probably have some kind of historical context playing with each other. Now, for example, a historical context meaning the El Clasico or the Real Madrid-Barcelona match, they are uh, they're not geographically close to each other, but it's still called a derby because they are the two biggest clubs in Spain and they sort of, you know, have this kind of following across Spain uh, that itself has become a derby of Spain. And mm. you have uh, the Milan derby, that is two teams belonging to Milan, the city of Milan, that is a that is Inter Milan and AC Milan. When they play each other, it's called a derby. And similarly, Manchester United and Manchester City, two clubs from the same city, play Got each it. other. It's called a derby. So yeah, and Rangers and Celtic in Glasgow. Got it, bro. Got it. Are you taking notes, Madhu? No, I didn't know. I mean, now I understand the whole madness of uh, football fans, right? Like there's a lot of history attached to it. There's a lot of a lot of other things than just people playing on the. Than just right? David Beckham and his. Yeah. Amazing good looks and Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> so going back to the commercialization. Bend it like Beckham. Wow. What a movie. <laughs> like Beckham is my hero. Football, Beckham. That's all. <laughs> ah, Karan, you were saying. Yeah. yeah, so I was just going back to the whole commercialization of the English team or for that matter a lot of the top clubs of the world probably man united paved the way for it yeah. 
by capitalizing on their uh, fan base outside of england where you know they started uh, a line of uh, apparel then they had their own clubs or own bars in various cities across the world across asia europe america Regional where people tours, could just yeah regional tours where they would do exhibition matches for season or pre the next season where you know that they engage with fans there's a lot of fan engagement and everything and they they built a commercial empire around that uh, so how do you think that has affected how the team or how the epl has become this huge phenomenon and uh, how has that changed the teams at least yeah i think at least before vivek's uh, perspective uh, at least my outside perspective because i haven't really supported uh, the so called top clubs in the last uh, say 10 years or little more than that i think definitely it's kind of brought premier league to the limelight and uh, from you know being one of the leagues that were behind an italian spanish league i think uh, manchester united success brought in a lot of commercial value that grew premier league and got it very popular especially in asia because asia was the untapped market right asia and the states probably and it was around the time when soccer was getting popular in the states right the us was winning uh, women's uh, soccer world cups right so that and keeping that uh, factor in mind i think these two were untapped areas and you and uh, manchester united was one of the initial clubs to really tap into both these markets and found some real success and if you ask me i think how it's affected uh, on a whole of course it's really increased the valuation of clubs and you know they are kind of uh, getting a lot of money uh, due to these expensive uh, tv rights and such but what it's also done is sort of widened the gap i mean not to say that the top clubs are the ones who are making uh, most money it's a situation where everyone's making money but the gap is growing uh, apart uh, i think in the 90s at least you know the gap wouldn't have been so wide as it is today but of course they were not making any uh, money compared to what they are uh, now so it it's it's kind of a tricky situation for the premier league at least because uh, if you look at it all 20 clubs who play a season at least over the last four five seasons uh, they are making some real money the only problem is that uh, the ones at the top are making uh, it in exponential uh, levels as compared to like other leagues right and like if you you take a spanish league other than the top 5 6 no one's really making money you take the german league the same uh, situation italian league even the top 2 3 are not really making uh, that making money uh, so so uh, the english league is a little tricky but of course a lot goes into how you know united really found that i think again i believe it was sort of a more of a coincidence and a luck sort of a thing than anyone really putting brains and commercially building it out but yeah what how it's worked out uh, well for them and uh, definitely from a money perspective well for premier league as well yeah actually even if you look at it from a from the from an indian perspective uh, united have no major premier league club has toured india as far as i know and india is still an untapped market for them i mean if you see in the last 5 years probably you see a lot of these legends of uh, the respective clubs coming in and touring in india and meeting with their supporters club or whatever and you know having a chat during important matches and going back and premier league themselves organizing some sort of an event in the in cities like bombay and delhi and they are still realizing it they don't know how big 
football is in india which is um, which is some, somewhat surprising for me because they usually tap the southeast asian and the chinese markets predominantly uh, i mean more over the past 20 years and the yeah. states as well so uh, india is still an untapped territory for them it yeah uh, and it also uh, actually the premier league is considered a cash cow now and the other leagues are following suit i mean they although they are not able to match what the premier league is able to do in terms of marketing they are not able to uh, yeah they are not able to match hence they are not they are not making that kind of money the premier league cups are making a huge amount of money i mean you can see you can see that their schedules um, from the end of the previous season to the start of the next pre season is packed with uh, with some sort of activities or the other and then they go off into pre-season tours which is like a month long and then they come back and they start playing their regular leagues so it sort of it sort of becomes a commercial obligation i mean sort of uh, either the pl- players even if they don't like it they probably have to go and play abroad in in sunny america or in rainy thailand or indonesia whether they like it or not so it sort of becomes an obligation for them which is uh, there are complaints among the players and managers that this probably is taking its toll on their performance but when the clubs are making such huge amount of money why would they care so and also players making crazy amounts select yeah. players not all so that's that's the issue right so select players not all and it's also affecting their performances i think so there, there are two ways to go about it but the money coming in is so huge that i don't think any club will think twice about not going they will probably go you'd mentioned uh, india is still a pretty a big untapped market from a football fan base point of view why is football not as big as cricket in india yet now oh, it's a tough one so uh, again see the thing is watching football is different i my point of view is that uh, for us to kind of support the local football scene right mm-hmm. uh, you either have to be someone who really grew up playing or uh, watching and you kind of know the game in and out in our situation the thing is all of us have watched uh, really you know india as a is not really a football has not been a footballing country right post i think 50s no we were always uh, taught 50s. that we had a football team yeah. who played barefoot and you know managed to get themselves 50s, disqualified 50s. because they didn't want to play with shoes on so <laughs> 50s 60s yeah. ke baad I, i don't think we've had a proper football team so uh, that interest in local football has only been for people who really played in the system right mm. or played in leagues played at school level play. for me i had a huge interest in indian football only because i played a lot uh, in the school days and luck i was lucky enough to kind of spend a few years in calicut which is kind of one of the uh, cradles for uh, indian football and you know uh, you have to be in those situations or else you are always going to be uh, exposed to uh, cricket so when you say why is football not as big as cricket i would say from a viewership point of view for uh, all the premier leagues of the world maybe india is uh, maybe football is that big but definitely from a local football perspective i i think it's a long way to go because uh, mainly because of you know the way uh, the game has evolved in our country yeah i think uh, I th- even with cricket fan base i think it was only because of maybe the 1984 world cup that we won 83 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, 83 84 had that happened with football earlier then football could have been as big as cricket absolutely yeah and also you can see a bit of change in the way people are accepting the game as well you know you see a lot of again it is limited to the urban centers i don't think there's enough uh, 
exposure or penetration in the tier 2 and tier 3 cities where you can find kids in school playing football as a sport it's still considered a niche sport for some reason i don't know why because it's some of them it's just one of the most simplest games to play and yeah. they, there are not many equipments exactly. to be used you can also find a lot of these premier league clubs you know sort of you know tapping these i it's a sort of a double edged sword kind of a thing either they they are they come with the intent of marketing their product in the with, and they sort of you know engage with the local academies you know put up their badge yeah, alongside exactly. the local uh, coaching camps and you know it's sort of it's a, it's a marketing ploy to attract more people but it, it it is not solving or it is not improving indian football standards so that is sort of a, a sort of a bad thing that way but you can yeah but uh, uh, yeah sorry to that point right i think for people who kind of watch a lot of premier league football right having a manchester city kind of you know really invest in a mumbai city kind of also gives them that mm. i think it gives them that extra thing to kind of support mumbai city but sadly the, the whole thing of isl clubs is that they are not going anywhere they are you know sort of showpiece clubs that are there and at this point we are not sure it's not uh, it's not like the ipl where ipl has become sort of the you know machinery for a lot of young talent to come out that's not really happening at uh, that pace or at that level in uh, isl at least it's still your lower indian league uh, or the old i league which really brings out indian talent so it's a tricky situation for the indian thing as well because vivek said uh, the whole thing of that whole uh, barefoot game right but yeah. uh, quite honestly till 50 60s we were a pretty half decent team right so yeah, we were, i think yeah. yeah from from what i know uh, the whole barefoot thing india actually used to play barefoot but there was no disqualification we just used to lose right or uh, whatever but we were not that bad we were definitely uh, there in sort of international level and if if uh, from a hyderabad context hyderabad was one of the big centers i think uh, that's sort of an interesting thing how hyderabad as a city which was supposed to be like one of the main footballing centers mm-hmm. that kind of went away so you had a lot of these centers that really went away from for me uh, the context there is uh, so hyderabad police is one of the old uh, hyderabad clubs who outside uh, east bengal and mohan bagan which are the big uh, calcutta clubs outside east bengal and mohan bagan uh, uh, hyderabad the police is the one who uh, who has won the most number of ifa shields so ifa shield is oh so this is an interesting fact so since we are uh, discussing uh, football ifa shield is the oldest footballing tournament mm-hmm. in the world yeah. uh, officially uh, it's it's an indian tournament and the way it was structured was it was obviously held by the brits so when uh, before independence pre independence the way it was uh, structured was you used to have teams from around the world coming playing in ifa shield and you had one or two indian teams playing right so uh, it, it more more mostly it used to be uh, among the uh, calcutta clubs even mohammedan sporting because uh, east bengal came in a little later so there's a lot of history there within india which probably kind of got swept under the rug you know because of the popularity of cricket and when all of us shifted to premiership i mean no one bothered to kind of look all this up and kind of understand that okay indian itself had Uh, some of that and i think i honestly think it's a little late now maybe you know in the uh, 90s or 2000s 
maybe we could have uh, maybe pe- because people were supporting football we, it that could have helped the local football scene but now i think it's just way too complicated like uh, i think uh, it's just going to be another i wash sort of a thing with this isl and thing yeah i think over a period of time the isl if it builds an infrastructure that nurtures and encourages young talent that would that would be an ideal way to go yeah like just to put in perspective like the english premier league like all the top clubs don't just have the top clubs but they also have like an under under 18 boys team under 15 boys team yeah under 15 girls team under 18 girls team and they have a pipeline for talent that builds over time for them and that in that also translates to talent for the country and everything so they have the infrastructure they have the whole mechanism in place so until probably india builds something that is as sustainable and as effective as that current scenario or the current infrastructure and doesn't allow quite frankly it's not commercial enough or viable enough for even people to invest companies or whoever to invest in that as well so unless that is built i don't i don't see the indian footballs in growing getting to that level at least yeah i mean why would people watch bap it's not any way as interesting as watching the premier league right then the second reason you would watch is the whole pride factor Correct. right uh, now what's happening is the league has all main cities uh, other than the main cities that means no one else is going to watch now the third reason could possibly be that these players who are playing in these teams like the ipl they represent the country and play at the highest level hence i have that whole national pride kind of a scenario and so i either support uh, each of these clubs or kind of you know uh, follow them but in this in from a indian football context nothing none of this is uh, going to happen like it will always be like your bombay bangalore uh, you know uh, whatever chennai hyderabad types who will really end up watching at least if this situation continues correct and and i think it will because looking at what's happening with i league and how they've uh, blocked east bengal's entrance into uh, the isl and all that i think uh, that is going to continue with politics at the uh, highest level i think football in india would have been big had bhuvan and team beaten the british at football and not cricket <laughs> but yeah. yeah at least instead of 3 and 1/2 hours that movie would have been <laughs> yeah short three hours 15 minutes but yeah why did why didn't they pick football like they could have learned that way easier than cricket god no it is it is a gentleman's game yeah cricket cricket is like an elitist game actually complicated it is yeah yeah a cricket is supposed to be an elitist game as opposed to football being like the Yeah, Common football man. fans are supposed to be one of the nastiest fans of in yeah, sporting yeah. It, it, history, yeah, a, sporting world. It's right? a working class uh, uh, game, so you know, someone just wants to grab a pint and watch his team. Or you know, how we can make out cricket is an elitist game. Mm-hmm. They have a tea break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tea. Yeah. Have some tea. Cool. I think we've covered yeah, quite no, a bit. Yeah, no, so the point about uh, working class and all, you know, it's. Uh, Uh, it's it's kind of reflective even current uh, even in england as well because you know you find a lot of uh, 
people following uh, cricket as snobs in england as well because you know uh, it's a summer sport you know you find you just can't play the year round i mean all, all the year round and you, football is like you know take a ball football rather and kick it around the street and you have a lot of mass following for football as compared to cricket yeah. there and that's it's all over europe i guess that's a scene and, pre- yeah, and it's very and cheap as well to attend a football game yeah. than a cricket surprising that despite that india couldn't you know yeah. <laughs> really take the game right if you look at the same socio economic factors you see south america doing so well mm. yeah so yeah we just we just yeah yeah some, like some, some, some reason we got attached to cricket more than football some i don't know maybe the 1983 thing was spot on actually yeah so that's one of the reasons yeah. i think russell peters okay, cracked so that joke I, in one of his specials <laughs> where we have so many <laughs> indian like we have such a large population and we couldn't come up with one good football team i know i know <laughs> <laughs> okay so since we covered a lot of football but we didn't cover like the most entertaining part of football or at least the most entertaining part of uh, uh, english and uh, european football which is the transfer window <laughs> <laughs> yeah, transfer window what is this educators what is transfer window wait go yeah so since that the person whose team has spent the most on the most <laughs> no so uh, this is regards to so what uh, aditya was asking earlier about a, a, a player being transferred between two clubs so this sort of happens in, in in a window or rather in a time frame i mean it can't happen the whole year round mm-hmm. so you have uh, just before the season commences in august september you have the summer transfer window and then recently this winter transfer window has been started where during the months of uh, late december and jan that is the winter break is where there's a second transfer window which takes place so you are supposed to buy or sell players during this transfer window but you can speculate on where a person is going or a player is going whole year round so there's a whole game or, or rather a whole the the, the british tabloid industry uh, market runs on you know on this transfer market so you start mm-hmm. speculating where a person is getting transferred where a player is getting transferred you know sort of uh, reporting on sightings of a uh, meeting between an executive of a club and a particular player or something of that sort mm-hmm. so this is kind of a big industry in uh, uk and it sort of you know grows on you when you start speculating that oh my club is going to buy this player oh, okay well, it might not turn out to be true but you know it's sort of a it's it's a good yeah. thing it's a good feeling you find yourself attracting you, you can gauge your clubs whether they are attracting good players or not and so it, it's sort of a, it's sort of a nice fun thing and also interesting you up, yeah you also end up speculating on the amount of money also you start off at discussions who is going for 50 million pounds oh, it's a bit too steep 30 million pounds oh it's bad so you also have betting in in england obviously you have these uh, betting houses right so you also bet on these players going to a particular club or not and yeah so i'm sure so the two sides to it is one is the sheer crazy amount of money is being spent during these windows on players and the second one is like vivek rightly said the tabloid uh, industry yeah so bbc rightly names that section the gossip column mm. so they have this gossip daily gossip column wherein they discuss every day right so mind you there is the window opens only 3 months a year which is 2 months during summer and 1 month in winter which is january but the gossip happens every single day so all this year around gossip kind of boils down to these 3 months of activity so it's just insanely entertaining Yeah, I like. Let's say the last week of the transfer window is probably the craziest. 
where there are rumors rather last day yeah you you have transfers uh, you have transfers going through in the last hour of the transfer window and transfers oh, no, yeah. failing on the last hour of the transfer window yeah so, so you, i'll just for just for con- just for the context um, there was a transfer which was supposed to take place in 2015 between manchester united and real madrid for manchester united's goalkeeper um, i don't know this has not been confirmed by the man united officials but the transfer didn't go through the last hour of the day because Real Madrid had a broken fax machine and they couldn't receive the paperwork <laughs> in time for that particular player so and that transfer didn't go through at that time and ever since he signed a new contract and he st- I went on to stay with Manchester United so just to give yeah, you a context this, this of, is same like yeah this is same like how Kevin Mbappe signed for Newcastle and the takeover only didn't happen yeah, yeah. so people were speculating <laughs> about newcastle united's takeover uh, i mean uh, saudi arabia wanted so the cons- consortium saudi consortium wanted to buy newcastle united uh, which was eventually blocked by the premier league because of some human rights violations by saudi arabian <laughs> governments so even before the takeover happened newcastle fans were sent into a frenzy where they started plastering their uh, i mean they started on twitter you know coming up with uh, their dream teams who are they going to buy and you know all the Everyone, superstars everyone's dp yeah everyone's dp so th- there are these english guys like wearing that shake uh, uh, hat and taking a picture and putting on it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's how it and works. eventually the proposal fell like through <laughs> this happened recently no yeah 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 last month last month ha yeah the last week there still hope <laughs> you could see the newcastle next season proposed newcastle united team was having mbappe neymar everybody who's <laughs> a world football in that team messi also included. i i i put up mbappe in my fifa team also bab <laughs> with aramco jerseys yeah with aramco jerseys yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. aramco jerseys right now formula 1 is sponsored by aramco aramco yeah, there are double standards yeah. there are double standards in Let's. the sponsorships and even in football as well you can see uae um let's not owning manchester city thing. but the same thing can't be allowed for saudi arabia so it's i mean a lot of so let me get to that that's something that i wanted to talk about so so the biggest infusion of capital into a team which made a significant difference was when roman ibrahimovic bought chelsea and chelsea from being probably a seventh or eighth place team bought suddenly bought all the best players in the world and were premier league champions best players and the best coach also and you see the same thing happening with man city and a couple of other teams over the past few years yeah i i still think inflation adjusted chelsea would have spent much more than city just correct yeah feeling because city kind of managed to like do that crazy first year where they bought like shit players vivek you remember adrian motu yeah. the drug he was he, he turned out a druggy or something then there was that mathaya kesman kesman mathaya kesman ha oh god so much of money on shit players but yeah i think chelsea would have spent uh, uh, more uh, city less but the most definitely paris saint germain yeah so how is that changing the face of the game is it now where it's not based on talent anymore but if you have the most money no so this newcastle thing and recent activities also the what they say at least is that the whole financial fair play aspect in the game which basically means that if someone you know so roman abramovich happened but that happened at a time where there were absolutely no regulations right then you, no one even the man, it was unprecedented yeah. when it happened yeah yeah 
then man city abu dhabi happened right so that also kind of while there were regulations at some level it couldn't really prevent something like that right uh, the way to look at it is uh, so what if that happened because if you look throughout history right uh, other than uh, say spain uh, top real madrid barcelona and spain and uh, say bayern munich in uh, germany were owned by the club uh, what do you call shareholders or your club members right everything else is owned by uh, owners like you know like 96 when black blackburn won the uh, league they were also owned sudden they also came into sudden money and you know ended up buying like great players and that's how they made the league as well at least my point of view is that should that be prevented really we don't know because if if the uh, point if you if you want to kind of keep preventing such things from happening then it'll uh, be that for the next 100 years it'll be the same clubs who will, who have been dominating the last 100 years so there is no change right so a, so a lot of quarters what they've been what at least fans have been asking for is that why should there be a financial fair play when there was no fair play in the first 100 years okay so, so why should yeah, it come in put, now to put it into context right? yeah to put it into context the american sport methodology is a is a, is a better is a better understanding yeah, yeah. it gives you a better understanding you have these draft systems where each club or each uh, franchise probably will get its chance to get the best player coming out from college or whatever uh, or or every 4 5 years or based on their performance relatively that's not the case in football in football it's ruthless you can buy the best player from your neighboring club and you can although you are better you can become the best so to avoid that or to put a cap on how much money you can spend wherein you have these rich oligarchs and you know foreign state owners coming and buying clubs and propelling them to the next level fifa came up with an idea of fifa fair play telling that you can spend so much amount of money based on how much amount of revenue you can generate i mean you can't indiscriminately spend money unless you earn money equally so you need to have a financial model in place which is balanced so that kind of sort of uh, the intention behind it is to have a level playing field so that not so much, clubs which are not spending as much as these big clubs also have a fair advantage of people coming through their system or you know of buying players which they can they are capable of now there are certain loopholes in these systems as well because recently manchester city who were accused of breaching the fifa fair play and were threatened to be thrown out of the champions league which is a premier elite european club competition ended up going to the court of arbitration court of arbitration and they ended up getting their ban revoked correct yeah. so there is a bit of a conundrum here correct. thinking that i mean there are laws in there place but there are loopholes there are where the clubs can utilize they can it sort of becomes a you know bringing in your big lawyers into it and you know taking it to the court of arbitration it sort of becomes a, a tedious thing for fifa so they are sort of losing their grip on ffp as well so but in the end you have these rich clubs who will spend and who will become more uh, powerful in terms of resources than the probably the majority of the remaining clubs no, but but is it fair do you see this thing changing i don't know i i can't see i can't see change no i can't see change yeah and i don't yeah, think anything that can be done about this because uh, it's in an extremely complicated place right like vivek said uh, there are lots of loopholes for people people who have personal money as opposed to the club really generating uh, commercial uh, revenue right so how are you going to stop them they can they are always going to say that 
you know, say the Saudi example that we were talking about, Saudi would have told that Newcastle uh, is being sponsored by Aramco and Aramco is a, a willing to stump up, say, 500 million uh, as sponsorship money, for example. Yeah, even so uh, Etihad, Etihad is a live example, right? So Manchester City Etihad is, is owned by Abu Dhabi, the state, and Etihad is their sponsors, their shirt sponsors, which itself is again an Abu Dhabi firm. So they pump in money, yeah. which is again, you know, it is just like transferring money from one account to another account, but eventually it is your money. So that's the hmm. case there. Yeah, but again, my point of view is the same. I think like there should be, I mean, this is still okay because I don't think FFE is going to bring in any... Uh, uh, what you call uh, any kind of uh, uh, regulations in a way that will really help leave lower league clubs, even like the middle, uh, mid table clubs, right? It's always going to favor uh, the top clubs in a way because, uh, because like I said, it's been a hundred years of no regulations that have uh, gone, right? And that's the time that they have used to become so big. So maybe it is the time to kind of change a little. You never know. It's all about the money. All right. Like, uh, we covered quite a bit. Why do you think football is football? And... Okay, no. I, I think you get 100, 100 points for that question. Why do you think football is football? <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the game itself is, you know, form, format is shorter. I mean, IPL, why is it successful? Because in a 20-hour game, it will, it will, you know, it probably get yeah. completed within three hours. A lot of hitting, the rules are favoring the game. But in football, that's not the case, but the game itself is inherently shorter. and There's more action uh, happening. There's more action happening and there's more fan involvement over a short period of time. There's more fan involvement. And it's just a spectacle. So, I have, I have one question. So, Vivek, how was your uh, experience uh, visiting... Uh, Man- yeah, Manchester yeah, yeah. United Stadium, Old Trafford, and Manoj, your experience of visiting uh, Newcastle. the Newcastle Stadium, St James Park, oh, St James Park. I think I think I think, uh, think St James's Park had had an advantage uh, because you know other than that thing of you supporting the club and loving the stadium, the Newcastle Stadium is like uh, at a height, right? So the effect when I just walked in, it's because like it's it's on top of a hill, so you can see feel the sea like hitting your face. So for me, that was like a crazy experience, uh, really. Coming. I mean, obviously, United Old Trafford is a much bigger stadium, but I don't know. Like I felt like uh, the whole uh, environment, like not the stadium, cons- not considering the stadium in itself, but. You know, the surrounding environment and the geography-wise, it was like a different experience. Nice. Yeah, you then, yeah. United was, I mean, just as I expected it to be special, you know. And uh, Yeah, I remember you basically losing your I shit. Know. <laughs> I, I, it was, I mean, you, 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 you sort of, I mean, it was, you sort of look forward to these things, Fuck right? List. So, it was special, it was yeah. absolutely special. I mean, it would have been great if, you know, I would have had a chance to watch a match. Yeah, game, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless. But I think uh, a fun thing was, uh, I think, uh, t- uh, when we went to Old Trafford, like, uh, I think uh, it was definitely 10 times or say 20 times more crowded than St. James' Park was. But it was like 90% uh, Asians. And yeah. <laughs> then you when you go to St. James' Park and it was like all these guys from within England, you know, and like we two were like exactly. solely yeah, yeah, yeah. standing out. <laughs> so I think that's, that's, that's also like a... Shows the demographic of fans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I think there's a criticism. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty much like that, right? When I went to the lodge, it was ninety percent in South Asians, and yeah, I think there were like five or ten people. I think no, maybe eighty uh, percent uh, South Asians, and uh, you had like ten people from Australia, and then you had like five people who were basically partners of the guys who had come because they had no choice. <laughs> This is great guys. I learned a lot about football in the last hour and a half. A lot of context, a lot of insight, uh, insight tidbits, uh, nuggets uh, and history. So, thanks for thanks for coming on and doing this. This was this was great. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. Thanks for coming guys. Hey there, thanks for listening to the episode. It was a fun episode and thanks to Vivek and Manoj for doing this and sharing the knowledge of football with us. I think it was very informative, especially for Mohit and Aditya who don't follow the game too much and hope you guys liked it too. Look forward to your feedback and comments on social media. We are at BoiledEggPod on Instagram and Twitter. All our episode artwork is by the talented Reno. You can follow Reno on Instagram at ray underscore ngk. That's it for this time, folks. Catch you in the next one. Till then, take care. Stay safe. This pandemic isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Bye-bye.